Let's read together Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. Now in this chapter, we have more background for the time of the judges. In particular, we have the spiritual background and the reasons given as to why God let Israel be oppressed by her enemies. Judges chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was, when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at timnath Heres in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaish. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Asterisks. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked. In obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. Let's begin our study of Judges chapter 2 with some background notes. Judges chapter 1 gives us the political background 
of the period of the judges. Israel had conquered the land under the leadership of Joshua, but all the pockets of enemy resistance had not yet been eliminated. The land had been divided up between the 12 tribes of Israel, and now each tribe had the responsibility to fully conquer and occupy its respective territory. God did not want his people contaminated by the idolatry and immorality of the Canaanites. But we see in Judges chapter 1 that the various tribes could not and would not fully drive out the enemy. God had promised Israel that if they would obey him in this matter, Israel would never have to suffer defeat. But the children of Israel did not fully obey the Lord. And throughout the time of the Judges, Israel never finished the job of fully conquering and occupying the land. So here in Judges chapter 2, we see that because of this disobedience, God permitted the surrounding nations to come in and oppress Israel, as we see there in verses 14 and 15. This chapter then gives us the spiritual background of the period of the Judges. Now, in the first part of the chapter, it almost looks like Israel was about to get its act together. They wept when the angel of the Lord confronted them with their disobedience as we see there in verse 4. And they sacrificed to the Lord, as we see there in verse 5. But when Joshua died, the people forsook the Lord and served the gods of the land. And this continued throughout the period of the judges. When God would raise up a judge, there would be a temporary time of spiritual recovery. But when the judge died, they would revert to their old ways as we see there in verses 18 and 19. Well, a lot more we could add for background, but we need to move on now to our doctrinal teaching points. So uh, doctrinal point number one, there are seven sin cycles in the book of Judges. There are seven sin cycles in the book of Judges. Here in Judges chapter two, we have the typical cycle given that Israel went through seven times during the time of the Judges. It's a five-step cycle, and it could be called the sin cycle. In step one, the people would sin by rebelling against the Lord. In step two, the Lord would allow one of the enemies of Israel to gain control and plunder and oppress Israel. In step three, the people would cry out to the Lord because of the oppression, and the Lord would hear. In step four, the Lord would raise up a judge and deliver the people from their enemies. In step five, there would be a measure of rest and revival as long as that judge was alive. But as soon as that judge died, the people would resort to their old ways and the cycle would repeat itself. In the book of Judges, there are seven such cycles, beginning in chapter three. Now, if you like alliteration, you could outline the five-step cycle with either S's or R's. Step one would be sin or rebellion. Step number two would be servitude or retribution. Step three, supplication or repentance. Step number four would be salvation or restoration. And step number five would be silence or rest as long as the judge was alive and ruling. So that's doctrinal point number one. 
there are seven sin cycles in the book of Judges. Doctrinal or teaching point number two. There can be sin cycles in the lives of believers. There can be sin cycles in the lives of believers. The sin cycle that Israel went through again and again during the times of the Judges can also take place in the life of a believer. It doesn't have to, but it will take place if we wander away from the Lord. The Lord will bring discipline into our lives. When we repent and cry out to the Lord, he brings deliverance and restoration to our lives. And then there is rest of soul until the next go-around if we disobey the Lord. Certainly, this is illustrated for us in the book of Judges, and it's part of the teaching of the book of Judges. Let me give you a New Testament reference for each of the steps of the sin cycle. Step number one, the sin stage. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Step number two, the discipline stage. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening or discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens or disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. Step number three, the repentance and calling out to the Lord stage. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And step number four, the restoration to fellowship stage. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Step number five, the rest of soul stage. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now that's the rest of salvation. But now in verses 29 and 30 comes the rest of soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a blessed stage this is. Once again, we don't ever have to go around the sin cycle. We can stay continuously in the rest of soul stage if we obey the Lord and don't wander away from the Lord. But unfortunately, we do disobey and we do wander away from the Lord. And unfortunately, there can be sin cycles in the lives of believers. What about practical application? Have you had a first-generation experience? Have you had a first-generation experience? Verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now look at verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Joshua's generation had seen with their own eyes the great miracles that the Lord had done for Israel during the conquest. They had seen the waters of the Jordan dried up. 
They had seen the walls of Jericho fall down. They had seen the sun stand still in the sky so that Israel could conquer the enemy. But now a new generation arose which had not seen these great works of the Lord. They had only heard about the miracles. They did not have a first-generation experience themselves. Have you had a first-generation experience? I mean, you've heard about the great works of the Lord in your parents' generation or in your grandparents' generation, but you've never seen it for yourself. You know, you can have a first-generation experience if you're willing to step out in faith. You know, one of my first-generation experiences has been in connection with this ministry, Growing Christian Ministries. For 26 years, we've seen the Lord support this ministry. We've never appealed for funds, and yet we've never been in the red. We've seen the Lord at work firsthand. It's a first-generation experience. Now, until I stepped out in faith, I had heard that the Lord would support a work like this, but I had not yet had the first-generation experience. Have you had a first-generation experience? It's not just in the matter of seeing the Lord support a ministry financially. Have you had the first-generation experience of leading another person to Christ? Again, the question for all of us, have you had a first-generation experience?